I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the second season of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. I'd like to thank everyone for their support over the course of the hiatus, It's been really fun to see all the comments and the fan art, logos, pictures, and even a crochet cow. You can find all of that on our Discord server, and you can find an invitation for that on my Twitter profile at HowieMilkman, and on the website HowieMilkman.com. You'll also find ways to support the show on there. And before we get started, I'd like to give a very warm shout-out to the following new patrons. Jay Flowers, Milkman White Badge, Emily West, Fly Sprayer. Marlou, Fly Sprayer. Rachel Rachelson, White Badge. Uh, Sersley, there's not a lot of vowels in that one. S-R-S-L-Y, Fly Sprayer. Nina Wolverina, Fly Sprayer. James Wilson, Milkman, White Badge. And Carlotta, Apprentice. Thank you all very much for your support. Again, I really appreciate it. And with that, let's get to the episode. The title, The Hand of God. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. Oftentimes, we didn't know who was hunting who, if we were hunting the Falena, or if they were leading us to our death. Three rowboats, with a dozen men apiece in each, a seeker in the bow, harpoon held high. I saw my own grandfather with the helmet, horns from the wild oryx that once roamed this isle. Our kind were never entirely welcome in the community even in my grandfather's day, except when it came time for the hunt. The sacred harpoon, the weapon of the seeker, pulled us towards the Falena. I was brought on board as a bailer for the first time when I was eleven. I don't mind telling you I was terrified. I remember the cry, Falena, when my grandfather spotted the green flash. We caught up to the beast. I'll never forget glimpsing the great green eye as it surfaced. The eye filled me with a sense of calm, even as we were in mortal jeopardy. My grandfather threw his harpoon, and it stuck. But the beast just dove under the water, pulling us along. It came back to the surface, thrashing, huge. It tried to shake us off. It attacked. 
and above us was what they called the Hand of God. We were in the shadow of the whale's great tail fin. Screams of terror were drowned out by the waves crashing over the boat. The last I ever saw of my grandfather, I watched him sink under... I'd been listening to this story for a long time. By the great fish. I don't think Travis had any idea how early us milkmen had to get up in the morning. And even though the story was pretty touching and all of that, I stood up and told him I really had to get going. We'd been sitting on his dock for what seemed like hours, and it was getting cold, too. It was a Sunday night. I'd had a couple of conversations with Travis about everything that had happened. I told him I wanted to learn all the secrets of the Seekers, and eventually, he agreed to fill me in. I thought he was going to tell me about how to summon whales and fight with a harpoon, but instead he just told me this long tale about his grandfather and how things used to be in the old days. Sorry, Travis, it's just that... I understand, Howie. It's a lot to take in. But I'll come back for another chat. Maybe you can show me more about how to use the harpoon. You'll be better served by an understanding of our history and our place in the world today, for it is a time now of patient waiting. Travis really knew how to drone on, even when it was obvious that I wasn't paying any attention. whaling ships the Seekers were no longer needed. He'd been sipping his whiskey out of a metal cup, Probably that's why he wouldn't stop talking. When they gave up the old he offered me some, but I'd learned from my dad that it's better to avoid that stuff completely. I was still trying to detach myself from his rambling when Naomi came down from the house. She gave me a dirty look and then helped Travis to his feet. I think standing up made all the whiskey go to his head, because he just sort of trailed off in the middle of a sentence. Come on, let's get you to bed. Travis was a bit wobbly on his feet. And you, why don't you leave him alone? He's got to go to work in the morning. Sorry, he wanted to talk, so I listened. Dad, why don't you just tell him something to get him off your back? I called out after her. You know, I have to get up early too. He's the one who wouldn't stop talking. But she didn't say a thing. This was all before the university and the house, but I'll tell about all of that later. On the drive back into town, I thought about life. The green geyser shot up into the sky, providing some light for the journey and some inspiration for my future. I was done just hiding my head in the sand and pretending to be an ordinary guy like everyone else. I knew my destiny had higher plans in mind for me. I didn't know exactly where I was going, but I knew where I'd been before and I'd made up my mind. I was going to learn everything I could from Travis about being a seeker. I was going to show everyone what I could do and shake the dust of this little town off my boots and strike out on a new direction. Even if the path ahead was lonely, and even if I had to walk it alone like a hobo, I was done being Mr. Ordinary Guy. The universe had put me here among the milkmen for a reason. The man from the Department of Lactic Affairs could tell that I had what it took to be a top man in the organization, and I was going to prove it to Corwin too. As I pulled into town, I drove around a bit. I passed the church and saw the dull glow through the stained glass windows. I drove around some big holes and passed where Granard's place had been. He wanted to rebuild, but the geological men were giving him a hard time because they wanted to do studies of the area or something like that. I passed by Mr. Greenwood's house and felt a pang of sadness for the way things had turned out for him. 
The house was totally dark. I stopped the truck outside and just watched. I remembered all those months ago when Stormy caught me looking up at her window. Are you peeping Tom now, Howie? I'd had so many great times here, it would be sad to move on, but time, like a giant boulder rolling down a hill, doesn't know where it's going and it can't be stopped. Anyways, I parked the truck. We had to park all the trucks on the street since the parking lot was roped off because of the geyser. I walked home, and I was feeling pretty good and relaxed. In the couple of weeks since that night, I hadn't had any spells at all. Maybe Dr. Barrett was right, and it was just an affliction of youth that would wear off. That was one of his theories anyways. Or maybe I'd finally defeated the things that wanted me to go back. When I got to my building, the kid who was always bouncing a ball outside was outside bouncing his ball. When he saw me, he grabbed the ball and ran over. Hey, Mr. Milkman, come quick. There's a cow in your room, and it's dead and full of bugs and flies. What? I ran up to my room as fast as I could. The kid was right behind me. I almost knocked over Mrs. Summertag. Owie, hey. I threw the door open. It wasn't locked, but there was no cow. I turned around and the kid had run off giggling. (laughs) Looking back, I guess it was a good joke, but at the time, I was pretty annoyed. So I ran after the kid up the stairs, but he was inside his apartment before I could catch up. I knocked on the door. I heard hushed voices. The kid's mom opened the door. She could hardly keep a straight face. I'm terribly sorry, Howie. He's a bit of a prankster, he is. And with everything that's happened, well, you know how it is. I suppose you're right, missus. I'm sure he didn't mean any harm, but of course not. Of course he didn't. As I was leaving, I swear I heard mother and son giggling again behind the door. I tried not to let it bother me. I went back up to my room, sat down on my bed, listened to the banging on the wall for a bit, and before I knew it, I was fast asleep. On my rounds, I went out to see Travis first, of course. It was a bit strange going right back after I'd just been there the night before. But oddly, Travis wasn't out yet. Naomi came to meet me. There was a cold wind this grey morning, and she was wrapped up in her father's oilskin coat. She'd always been pretty friendly with me, but lately, she'd been a lot less happy to see me. As she came down to the truck, holding this coat around her, with the hood over her head, She had a look in her eyes that was kind of wary and kind of telling me to get lost. Just one bottle this morning. Is Travis okay? My dad's fine, Howie. Sorry about keeping him up so late last night. We get to talking and the time just blows right on by. I wish you'd stop it. What? He doesn't need you stirring up all these ideas in his head. But he thinks I'm... I know what he thinks and I also know what's true. Then we both looked up because Travis came out the front door. He was in a heavy sweater, but Naomi had his coat on. He was trying to hurry down, but you could tell that he wasn't feeling very good. Hey there, Travis. You need a ride in? Thanks, Howie. Naomi huffed and carried the bottle back up to the house without even saying goodbye. On the ride back to town, it started spitting rain. Travis insisted on keeping the window open and had his face sort of turned into the breeze. He was holding tight to the door and just looking straight ahead without saying much. Not feeling well this morning? No. 
I guess we overdid it a bit last night. He didn't say anything. Just to pass the time, I told him about the kid last night and the ball and the cow. Travis just kind of grunted as if to say, that's kind of funny. Naomi seemed pretty annoyed with me. At this, he looked over at me for a second. I went a couple of more rounds after you left. We had an argument. Nothing to worry about. At the shipyard, I let him off and watched him walk across the road. I could see all the beads of rain collecting on his wool sweater. I did all my rounds, such as they were. It was all a bit jumbled since the town was still such a mess. But Corwin insisted that anyone who still had an address and who wanted milk would get it. But for the moment, my rounds didn't take as long as they used to. A lot of people were living with family or friends, or they'd just moved away. Granard's shop, like I'd said before, was burned down. He and his family were living above the barber's shop. Mel, the barber, lived alone above his own shop, and so it was probably nice to have some company. Of course, I couldn't get one of Granard's sandwiches for Whelan, so I'd been getting them from Brixton's, which is a bit further away, and even though Granard told me to try them out, neither Whelan nor I thought they were as good. Father Whelan always looked a little sad when I handed him his lunch, but I decided to get some background information for my mission. I asked him if I could come in for a minute to chat. Well, of course, my son. And so the Seekers really could seek out the Felena? Oh, I don't know. So they say. You know, my grandmother swore she could witch for water. And as a matter of fact, I watched her do it one day. She just picked up a regular stick off the ground with a forked branch. She held it in a particular way with her wrists turned up and walked around. I saw with my own eyes that the stick dipped down and after, she showed me her hands. They were red and scratched from the wood pulling. Now how could she have gotten those marks if the stick hadn't pulled down on its own? And sure enough, they dug down a bit and there was water there, so really, who knows? That's an interesting story about your grandmother. What I mean to say is, there's a lot of things in this world that seem mysterious and inexplicable, but that doesn't mean there isn't an explanation out there. People used to think that if you looked at their kids the wrong way, they'd be haunted by evil spirits. Now we know that's just superstition. Listen, Howie, I wouldn't take anything Travis says too seriously, okay? But he's got this elaborate explanation about the Great Whaler and the things under the earth and in the sea. Travis, the Seekers, a lot of the fishermen in the old days, they're all part of what theologians call the Manicusiastic Heresy. If memory serves, they believe the universe is divided into... Well, I don't want to get into it, but... Suffice it to say that the church branded them as heretics centuries ago. It's a minor heresy, but a heresy nonetheless. Again, the point is, it's all old wives' tales and nothing a young lad like you should worry about, okay? Outside, I was really bewildered by what he'd said. I'd seen what Travis could do with my own eyes. I knew what I'd seen with my own eyes. I'd have to sort it all out later. Walking back to my truck, I saw, up the road, Granard speaking with one of the men from the geological survey. Not being in too much of a rush, I went over to chit-chat. The chippery was gutted by fire, and there was just a bit of the first floor left standing. 
A hole had opened up nearby and the geological people were still studying everything. So how long until I can rebuild? Depends on what we find. Could be a while, I'm afraid. They both stopped talking when I got close and they just looked at me. Oh, hi. I was just wondering when the chippery is going to open up again. Father Whelan's pretty unhappy about getting his lunch from Brixton's. The geological man, dressed in black like the rest of them, gave an annoyed sigh. <sighs> As I was saying, it all depends on what we find. We've got to be sure the area is safe before we can let anyone rebuild here. Granard got his back up at this. You mean there's a chance I won't be able to rebuild at all? I didn't say that, but if we can't stabilize the ground here, there's not much we can do. I've been kind of kicking at the burnt wall while they talked, since it was a bit boring, but I felt like I couldn't leave right away, and I guess I kicked it the wrong way because part of the wall fell over. Granard stopped talking and just glowered at me. Sorry, well it was falling over anyways. Then I have to get going. See you later, Granard. It's him you should be investigating. This whole mess is his They didn't say a thing as I left. I mean, the building was burned down already, so I didn't know what the big deal was. Near the end of my rounds, I decided to take the truck a bit out of my way to go visit McMurdle. I really wanted to check up on him and make sure he was doing okay and to see if he needed anything. He seemed more or less okay after the geyser, except that he was a bit dopier than usual. Corwin wasn't sure about giving him a delivery route right away, so they tried to get him to clean up and mop in the station, but the first thing he did, he was in the milk room with the milk bottling machine, and he somehow got his hand caught in the milk hole. The milk hole, in case I didn't mention it before, is a hole in the floor, and any milk or other junk that spills in there goes down the milk hole. It can get pretty gunky if it's not cleaned out regularly, and there's an electric grinding mechanism in there that you can turn to ground up the chunky bits. Anyways, McMurdle did the last thing you're ever supposed to do, which is to put your hand down there. He got stuck and it was hours before anyone found him. I actually thought I heard him moaning for help the day it happened when I was on my way home, but I figured he was just being his usual idiot self, so I didn't pay much attention. It's not like it was such a big deal. His hands just had some cuts and it would heal up no problem. I, on the other hand, had lost a finger in the line of duty, and no one even seemed to care. But McMurdle made a big deal about it, and Corwin decided to let him have some time to more fully recuperate and to let his brain recover before he could come back. So anyways, I decided to go over there. As I parked the truck, I could see the pecker head lying on the bed all wrapped in blankets on his porch since it was a bit cold out. The doctor said he needed lots of fresh air. I could see the scar on his stupid head. I hopped out of the truck and headed over, and she got up, looking really indignant. Oh, I forgot to tell you that Stormy had decided to move in with the McMurdles to help him out. I guess she didn't want to live in her own big house all by herself. What are you doing here? she asked. Can I come to see if my old buddy's okay, a brother milkman? I know why you come around here, and you're not welcome. Just go. Okay, but it's part of my job, so I'll just tell Mr. Corwin you wouldn't let me see him, and we'll see what he says if that's what you want. McMurdle didn't say anything, but just laid there giving me an infuriating, superior smile. He was enjoying every second of his so-called recovery, and he wasn't fooling me at all. I drove back to the station, and it started raining harder. I parked right beside Billy on the wall. He was still broken, and I guess it wasn't a high priority to fix him. 
it seemed wrong to just let him stay there, broken and all alone by himself there. I decided right then and there that I would raise a stink with Corwin about it and that I would make it my personal mission to raise Billy back up to his former glory or to make him even more impressive than before. His glory would rise as high as the big green geyser. So I went in to see Corwin. He'd been spending a lot of time talking to the men from the geological survey and some of the others who'd been coming to the island. I was about to deliver a big speech about the upkeep of the station and how it was falling behind, but I got a bit nervous and then he started speaking before I could get going. Any progress with Travis? I was out there last night and I stayed pretty late. I got him talking and he was drinking so that helped to loosen him up. But really, he just seems to be wrapped up in old memories and superstitions. I don't think he's got the sorts of abilities I do. And I asked Father Whelan, and he said Travis was just like an old wife with his tails. Did you ask him to come see me? I froze for a second, but then did some quick thinking. Howie? Yes, I asked, just like you said, but he said he didn't want to come speak with you. And why not? He said he was too busy. I'd still like to speak with him directly. He should still be at work. Why don't you take a truck and see if you can find him? Bring him here. Tell him it's just an informal discussion. We're just trying to piece together what happened in our parking lot. Sure thing, Mr. Corwin. When I got outside, the rain had really picked up. It was turning into a real storm. I ran into the truck and started it up. On the road out, there was so much rain that it was hard to see. Then there were bits of who knows what clattering against the windows, maybe sand or little shells from the sea. I kept driving for a bit, but I couldn't see the road and wasn't even sure where I was going. I didn't know what to do. Until the things hitting the window got bigger, and then something flew through the windshield, smashing it and getting glass and freezing salt all over me. The truck hit something and I got out. The rain seemed to have stopped and I could see that the truck had hit a sand dune, but made of snow. I looked around and my eyes adjusted. I was on a lone, level plain of snow with nothing but my truck, and the sky was white like the snow, but just a little bit grey. I must have ended up at one of the poles, and it was cold. I shook the glass off and just waited there. I got back in the truck. I waited and waited, but there was nothing. I got a bit panicky since somewhere in my mind I knew this must be some kind of spell, but it wasn't ending. I'd never had a spell where I was all alone before without any company at all. Maybe it was because my birthday was coming up. I didn't even hear any snickering, just my own breath and the wind outside. I couldn't tell if there was any sun or where it might be coming from. I could hardly see the horizon. I closed my eyes, thinking it would stop. I even think I fell asleep for a bit, but when I opened my eyes, I was still there and really cold. Especially my fingers. I really felt like I'd been there for hours. So I got out and walked, thinking maybe that would shake things up. I walked and I walked, but when I turned around, I couldn't see the truck anymore. I started to worry that I'd be stuck here forever. The directions all seemed the same and nothing in the landscape ever changed. 
I was getting scared because I was really, really cold and my uniform was not helping. My toes and my boots felt like they were on fire, and then I couldn't feel them. My teeth chattered uncontrollably, and I was walking slower and slower. The last thing I remember was seeing that my fingers were blue and wrinkled, and then I collapsed. When I came to, I was in the truck and it was pitch black, and the truck was on a funny angle. It was still raining pretty hard, but the windshield wasn't broken. Then I saw what had happened. I'd driven into a bank of earth that one of the holes had thrown up, and the truck's front wheels were sort of in a little muddy depression in the ground. I thought that maybe I should stay away from holes in the future. I put the truck in reverse, but the wheels were spinning in the mud. I got out and tried to push, but it was hard. Mel the barber hurried by in the rain, and I called out asking if he would help, but the bastard pretended not to hear me. That made me pretty annoyed, and with one mighty grunt, I used all my annoyance to push the truck back a bit. Success. I hopped in and got the truck going. I was soaked and dirty, but I had a mission to accomplish. I didn't know how long I'd been out, but when I got to the shipyard, it was deserted. I thought maybe I could catch Travis on his way home, so I took the coast road out. I drove for a long time and began to worry that I'd completely missed him. But then, maybe half a mile from his house, I spotted him. His wool sweater was drooping with water. I pulled up beside him, and he looked confused. Want a lift? I live right there. I just thought I'd ask. So he jumped in and we drove for a minute. So what brings you out here? I just couldn't wait to hear more about the Seekers and how I could learn to summon the whales myself. It doesn't really work that way, Howie. I appreciate you coming out here, but it's not a good night for talking. We were at his place by this time, and he jumped out and ran to his cottage without saying anything. I saw Naomi open the door and give me a bad look. She said something to Travis, and he just raised his hands in the air like he was confused. I sat there for a while, trying to get warm and thinking about what to do next. The rain was letting up a bit. I watched the cottage with its warm glow inside, and I imagined myself getting warmed up by the fire and smelling dinner cooking. Then an upstairs curtain was pulled back, and there was Naomi staring at me. I don't know why she was acting so strangely, but I decided to drive back into town. I was cold and hungry, so I popped into Brixton's and got a big bowl of chowder and also this thing he makes with salt cod and milk and oil. Back home, and in some dry clothes, I didn't have anything to read, so I pulled my chair up to the window and ate my hearty meal. I wished it was easier to get dinner sometimes, and Brixton's was still pretty good, but I did miss Granard's. Out the window, not many people were out and about. Since the geyser, there were lots of new people in St. Gaff's. Most stayed at the big hotel, and in the evenings they liked to walk up and down the harbour, just walking up and down for no reason except that they liked to walk there. There were the geology men all in black, but also tourists who came just to look and different kinds of researchers. I'd seen photographers setting up their cameras to take pictures of the geyser from the harbour. It was entertaining to watch the people strolling, but tonight there was no one, even though the rain was pretty much done. And then I had a flash of inspiration. 
one of the most brilliant ideas I'd ever had. I was going a bit stir-crazy just sitting there eating and looking at nothing out the window, and this idea kept growing in my mind. So I decided to just go out right now. And before I knew it, I was downtown and knocking on Mel's door. He came down the stairs and did not look happy to see me, but it wasn't him I wanted to talk to. He let me up to his place, and then Granard came to the door, also not happy to see me. What do you want? Sorry to bother you, but I had an idea and I wanted to tell you right away. And? Everyone loves your fish sandwiches, right? And who knows when you can rebuild your shop? I also noticed, since I live by the harbor, that all these new people are always hanging around down there. Where I grew up in... a buckle, there were always guys with shacks at the harbor selling food right there. Maybe you could do the same, set up a fish sandwich stand right on the water. Just a simple stand with a little roof. All those people from Ming's Bite will love it, and then I can get my dinner much easier too. His face softened up as I was talking. When I was done, he just stood there for a second. Then, that's actually not a bad idea, Howie. Well, what are friends for, right? Then his face darkened again. I got to get back to my family, but thanks for the idea. I left feeling like a million Ruperts. I could tell that my new frame of mind was working. I wasn't just thinking like everyone else anymore, and I was striking out in new directions no one had ever seen before. I had a good sleep imagining what it would be like to just hop down the stairs and get a sandwich. I bet Granard would even give me free ones since I was the key to his new success. But in the morning before my rounds, Corwin was really annoyed with me. I'd completely forgotten to ask Travis to come talk to him. I just explained with the truth that I'd hit something in the rain and that Travis was most of the way home by the time I found him anyways. But you told him I wanted to see him. Of course, he said he didn't really want to because he only wants to talk to those from his religious group, the Manichaeists. He told you he wouldn't come see me? He said he probably wouldn't. He's a proud man. And then I screwed up my courage. But Mr. Corwin, he just seems to be an old rambler. He was there that night, but he didn't do anything except hand me a harpoon. To tell you the truth, it was me who attacked that thing that was coming out of the hole. I'm the one with the abilities. Whatever you wanted Travis to do, I can do it. We've gone down that road, Howie. It didn't pan out the way we'd hoped. You're a good milkman. You've got a solid future ahead of you here in St. Gaff's. We need you to keep gathering information the way you've been doing. But as for the rest, going underground... We're not going to need you to do that anymore. We've changed the project here. Okay, if you couldn't get Travis to come down, I'll send Frank and Beaver to his place. We'll get him in here one way or another. That'll be all. Thanks, Howie. Outside his office, looking up at the gray sky, I felt like I just drank a pint of pickle juice. Like all four tires of my milk truck had just gone flat and I'd been left in the middle of nowhere. I didn't want to be just a milkman delivering milk and messages, and I didn't see why Travis was being so difficult. He could just show me what to do and he'd be off the hook. Now he's going to have Beaver and Frank after him. Serves him right, I guess. He wasn't helping me, and he wouldn't even go talk to Mr. Corwin. He was really asking for it. I'd really worked myself up by the time I got to his place that morning. I handed him a bottle and asked if he wanted a ride into town. Naomi, as usual these days, was watching suspiciously. It's a nice morning. The walk will do me good. 
Listen, I don't want to be rude or anything, but I have to tell you that you should really show me how to be a seeker. I'll tell you something that's top secret. The milkmen need a seeker like me for some important work for the department. They know about what happened that night with the geyser. I'm trying to be on your side to protect you, but if you don't help out, it sounds like they're going to send Frank and Beaver over. Travis looked genuinely shocked at this. I guess he thought I was just looking for some spiritual enlightenment or something. If I were you, Travis, I'd go talk to Mr. Corwin and straighten things out. Don't do it, Dad. Why don't you just leave us alone? No, it's it's okay, Naomi. Maybe you could give me a ride in Howie. I'll talk to him. We'll put an end to this right now. We drove in without saying much. I felt like my relationship with Travis and Naomi had really gone sour, and it was too bad. I loved the big breakfasts and dinners I sometimes had out there. But, like Corwin says, this is war, and maybe we'd smooth things over after Corwin explained everything to him. So I dropped him off. I decided to go in with him just to make sure everything was clear. Mr. Corwin? In the end, I convinced him to come in. No need to get Frank and Beaver involved. Travis gave me a confused look, but then Mr. Corwin took over. Thank you for coming, Travis. Have a seat. I just wanted to have a quick chat with you. Okay, Howie. On your way. And after that, I didn't hear anything about how the meeting went. Corwin wouldn't tell me anything. Travis was really perfunctory with me for the next few days. I went about my business. I delivered the radio message. I ate my dinner and watched out the window as Granard's shack took shape. but I didn't know what my next move would be. I wasn't prepared to just do this forever. Then, one day, after work, I had a breakthrough. I decided to go down to the drugstore since I was really getting tired of the same old routine. Being there reminded me of the good old days with Stormy. Molly was there with Leo and the others. I worked up the nerve to go over to their group. Molly saw me coming and gave me a faint wave and a sickly smile. I had enough sense to know she didn't want me there, so I pretended I was just going to the counter where people drop off prescriptions. And there was Naomi, just getting something from the druggist. I tried again that morning to get Travis to talk to me, but he just clammed up as usual. Hey, Naomi, how's your dad? How's my dad? Listen, Howie, I was meaning to talk to you. Walk with me a minute? Sure. I walked by Molly and the others and tried to make sure they saw that I was going somewhere with a girl. Outside, Naomi and I sat on a bench. Listen, Howie, my dad doesn't want me to talk to you, but I can see that you're really serious about learning the secrets of the Seeker. So I'm going to tell you what to do. But you have to promise that you'll keep this a secret and that you'll only use this power for good, okay? Really? Really. I know you want to get that big promotion, and this will really help. And just between you and me, I'd rather you be the one who helps the milkman and not my dad. He's getting old, and it'd be better if you guys would just leave us alone. Of course, I think that's really smart. So she started walking me through what I had to do, 
and it didn't sound nearly as complicated as I thought it would be. No, it doesn't have to be a harpoon, any stick should do. The main thing is to be in the right frame of mind, to summon up your inner spirits, and to say the right words. Righty-o, o come to the aid of this seeker-o. And do I have to wait until I see them in a green flash in the sea? No, this is one of the deepest secrets of the seekers. The Felena are all around us in the sea. If you give the secret distress call, they will come to you. I went home as fast as I could after that and wrote down the words so I wouldn't forget. I could see what Travis meant about how hard it is to sit and wait patiently for the right time. I wanted to run out right away and show everybody what I could do. But bide my time, I did. And as hard as it was to wait, it was a good feeling to know that pretty soon I was going to show everyone what I could really do. After giving it some thought, I decided that Sunday after church would be the best time. Everyone would just have heard the sermon from Father Whelan, and that was the time when most people were out at the harbor walking around. The rest of the week, delivering milk, I was in a great mood. I swung by McMurdle's place to ask how he was doing, and I didn't even get annoyed at the cold reception, just smiled a knowing look, since soon they would know the truth about me. I was delighted to see that Sunday morning was beautiful. There were no clouds in the sky, and there was a sweet, warm breeze blowing through the town. I thought about going to church, but I was actually too nervous, so I just stayed home. But it was hard to sit there doing nothing. So I went out walking along the waterfront. I sat on a bench for a while and just let the breeze wash over me and listen to the birds singing. I watched as Granard came with his supplies. His shack was finally up and running and I thought I'd treat myself to some lunch. More and more people were coming down. At first it was mostly the Mingsbite people who generally didn't go to church as much. Howie, one fish sandwich please. He fried it up right there and then, and the smell was amazing. It was still nice and hot when he handed it to me. I was annoyed that he made me pay for the sandwich, since he'd just be at home twiddling his thumbs if it wasn't for my idea. I was about to say something, but some guy in a tweed jacket with goofy elbow patches was already asking Granite for something. How much for one of the sandwiches? I decided to use my self-control and not let anything bother me today. So I sat back down on the bench and watched the harbor fill up with people. The kid with the ball walked by, but again, I didn't let the little jerk bother me. My neighbor was there mumbling away and enjoying the sun, and Mrs. Summertag and even Dr. Barrett was there. I decided it was time, so I got up and walked. But I have to say that as I promenaded up and down, I couldn't help but notice that the townsfolk were giving me funny looks. In fact, I got the distinct impression that I had become odious to these people. Not that I cared so much anymore. I wasn't like them. Today was the day when I was going to raise myself above all the ordinariness around me. I walked to a spot where a bunch of people were and several of the geological men, and I was about to start my incantation 
but then I decided it wasn't the right time after all. I did this a couple of times since, truth be told, I was nervous. But who wouldn't be? And then I remembered. I was supposed to have a stick. I felt my face go red. How could I have forgotten? I'd worked myself up like this for nothing. I turned to head for home and saw my neighbor with her stick. This, I thought to myself, was my last chance. Hey, can I borrow your stick for a minute? My stick? And she held it closer to herself. So annoying. Please, just for a minute, I'll give it right back. No. I remembered that Father Whelan once gave a sermon about St. Niccolo, who taught that as long as you succeed, no one will care how you did it. So this was sort of like that. I knew it wasn't very nice, but I just grabbed the stick out of her hands. That was the action of no return. I knew I didn't have much time since my neighbor stormed off to find her sister, Mrs. Summertag, I supposed, and I didn't have much time before there would be a scene. So I marched to the edge of the water and began. Righty-o, o But I was speaking much too quietly for anyone to notice. The only one watching was the guy with the tweed jacket. So I closed my eyes, took a breath. Righty-o, o Come to the aid of this seeker-o! A few people had heard me and a couple were snickering behind my back. My eyes were still clenched closed. I didn't know what to think. But then, there was a huge sound of crashing waves. I opened my eyes. It wasn't glowing green, but just like time was slowing down, I watched the biggest whale I'd ever seen rise out of the sea and high into the air above us. Its huge body and tail blocked out the sun. I looked up. We were all in the shadow of the hand of God. (laughs) 